0: section four of monologues this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. monologues by richard middleton dreaming as an art it is sometimes pleasant when the facts of life begin to annoy us to remember that we are only dreamers in a world of dreams our dreams are no less real to our minds than our waking adventures, and it is only chance it has led us to exaggerate the importance of the one at the expense of the other. If poets had been of any importance in the earlier days of the world, we might easily have come to consider our waking life as a pleasant period of rest for the emotions, while cultivating our dream pastures, till their roses became like crimson domes and their lilies like silver towers under the stars. But the hard-headed men, who could throw brickbats farther than their neighbors, had, I presume, the ordering of events in those far-dimmed days, and therefore today we all believe in tables and scoff at ghosts. We enjoy smoking-room stories and yawn at dreams. I might also have added that we knight the throwers of the brickbats and starve the majority of the poets, but I would be the last to deny the justice of this arrangement. For if the former class has taken the daylight earth to itself, the poet holds in their treasuries the title deeds of the fertile pastures and purple mountains of sleep. I know who is the richer. And if our dreams pass with the morning, it is no less true that our realities pass with the coming of sleep. We see a man fall asleep in a railway carriage, and our illusory faculties tell us that he is still there, while he himself, who should surely know, is only too well aware that he is being chased by a mad white bull across the Bay of Biscay. Probably he will return to the railway carriage presently, but meanwhile the bull in the blue waters are as true for him as his torturous body is for us who lament his snoring. And why should we prefer our impression to his? The point is important because in supporting the claims of the dream world against those of our waking life, it is necessary to meet the case of the man who says, I should soon come to grief if I looked to dreaming. As a matter of fact, and this throws some light on the life histories of our poets, it seems impossible to be successful in both worlds. We all know the earthly troubles that overtake dreamers, and I am willing to wager that your Jew millionaire goes bankrupt half a dozen times a night in his sleep, where all his yellow money cannot save him. Probably, if you cultivate the art of dreaming, you will pay for it under the sun, but whereas our chances on the earth are limited by our opportunities, the lands of sleep are boundless and our holding is only limited by our capacity for dreaming. There are no trusts in dreams. Next it is necessary to consider how far it is possible to command our dreams at will, and this, I think, is very largely a matter of practice. At first hearing, most people would think a man who said that he could dream when, and to a certain degree whatever he wanted, untruthful. But the effects of opium on the practiced eater are known to everyone, and cucumber and lobster salads have been calculated in terms of nightmares to a nicety. And while deprecating these more violent stimulants, I am sure that by choosing a judicial daylight environment, the will can be brought to bear almost directly on our midnight adventures i may refer in support of this to the number of instances quoted in mr lang's book of dreams and ghosts of persons solving problems in their sleep which had baffled them when they were awake to anyone who wishes to dream pleasant if unoriginal dreams i should recommend a life of intellectual rather than emotional idleness THE THEATER, MUSIC, FLOWERS, AND NOVELS OF A BADLY WRITTEN, EXCITING CHARACTER ARE ALL SERVICEABLE FOR THIS KIND OF DREAMER, AND HE OR SHE SHOULD CULTIVATE A HABIT OF WANDERING AND INCOHERENT THOUGHT. THE REST, AS I HAVE SUGGESTED, IS A MATTER OF WILL, BUT I WARN THE UNWARY THAT THE RESULTS ARE APT TO BE SURPRISING, FOR AFTER ALL, EXCEPT POSSIBLY IN CERTAIN CASES OF INSANITY, THE TWO WORLDS OVERLAP BUT SLIGHTLY usually we can recall a small chapter of the dream we have dreamed and in our sleep we retain a little of our waking wisdom and that is all from the splendid garden in which you wandered last night you brought away nothing perhaps but a flower or two broken and waking tonight you may be flying about the housetops as if you had never accepted the law of gravity as a fact and as you may not now recall the laws which govern your kingdom of sleep you can only suggest a course for your movements therein, at the risk of finding yourself engaged in a series of very uncomfortable adventures. Owing to an effort to dream short stories after the manner of Robert Louis Stevenson, I was compelled to commit two singularly brutal murders touched with a number of lifelike but repellent details. I know better now, for I have learnt that for me it is a rule of sleep that I should take the leading part myself. Even though, oddly enough, the dream is still a work of art so far as to allow me to go back and alter incidents which do not fit in with the latter part of the story. I may add that, owing to the extraordinary logic which binds my movements when asleep, the stories are hardly ever any good from a waking point of view. But the dreams are agreeable because I have a subconscious glow of self-congratulation on the vast quantity of work that I am doing. I think it possible that all very lazy people have this glow in their dreams, for this would account for the quite immoral happiness of the habitually idle. Moreover, it constitutes a quite reasonable defense for laziness, for no one can be expected to work all round the clock, and if a prince has been opening imaginary bazaars all night, you cannot ask him to lay real foundation stones all day. We can, and do punish men for preferring their labors in the other world to their labors in this but we have no right to call them foolish as well as criminal rebels against the conventional must be corrected to satisfy the majority that it is right but it is narrow-minded to despise them they may be tyrants in the dim places where dreams are born and this brings me to the whole moral aspect of dreams and dreaming a point on which i would gladly write a complete article it has often been noticed that in dreams we have no sense of right or wrong, but as we have also no control over our actions, it would seem that it would not make much difference if we had that sense. Our movements appear to be guided by a will outside our own bodies, and to a certain extent, at all events, this will is the will of the normal daylight man. It is quite possible to regard our dreams as a kind of dramatic commentary on our waking life, or as an expression of the emotions which the intellect has forced us to suppress in that life. If this be so, we ourselves are more real in dreams than we are when awake, however fantastic or ridiculous those dreams may appear to our conventional minds. And if the last art of living is to express ourselves as we are, it would seem that the whole duty of man is to dream. Perhaps when we have at last come to understand ourselves well enough to complete a utopia, our unconventional lives will be devoted to a number of simple daily preparations for the full enjoyment of the dim world, which I believe we can make as we will. And perhaps our true reward for the pains and uncertainties of our little lives is the place where beauty and joy follow desire as the night follows the day. End of section four. Recorded by Bob Hamilton.